Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 531 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I've been head down, bum up, doing all sorts of things, including oddly lots of laundry. But anyway, we have so much going on at the Writer Centre, though including a fabulous live Zoom event coming up that I wanted to let you know about. It's part of our Focus On series, and this one is Focus On Creating the World of Your Story. Every writer needs to bring to life the world that their characters live in. It's not just fantasy and science fiction writers who need to world build, because if you want your world, wherever that might be, to be believable and engaging to your readers, you need details, atmosphere, and importantly, I'm sure you've heard this term, a strong sense of place, or else your story will fall flat. Now, all stories take place within their own world. Maybe it's a cafe in a modern city, or a manor house in the 1850s, or an alien planet in the future, or of course, even in Middle Earth. So, This focus on is all about creating the world of your story. And as usual, it will be presented by the incredibly talented Pamela Freeman, our Director of Creative Writing, who also writes under the name of Pamela Hart. She's written more than 40 books and won countless awards. So really, she does know what she's doing. The live Zoom will be from 7pm to 8.30pm Sydney, Melbourne time on Thursday, the 30th of March. And if you're interested, you can register at writercenter.com.au slash worldbuilding. That's writercenter.com.au slash worldbuilding. Now, I want to move on and talk about a question that was raised in one of our Write Your Novel courses recently. And I know it's a question that comes up a lot for new writers. So basically, this writer wanted some tips on how she could write faster. In her words, she said, I find myself writing a bit and then going back and spending time editing what I wrote. Moving forward feels glacial. Yes, if you keep going back to revise what you just wrote, it can be very hard to make progress. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know exactly what the advice of her tutor, Kathy Tasker, was. Just get the first draft done. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done. Now, as Kathy said... With the first draft, just get it down. Remember, no one sees your drafts. They're safely inside your computer. So write yourself notes. And if you can't think of a word, just write XXX and fix it later. Plan to fix everything later and write yourself notes to come back to that. Identify the notes with an unusual character, such as, I don't know, the percentage sign or whatever, so you can search for them really easily. Self-censorship is the biggest problem for all writers, so you have to ignore it. Good advice from Kathy. Now, our Write Your Novel program is such a wonderfully supportive online classroom where you can workshop your way to a completed draft of your novel. And I'm so thrilled with all of our Write Your Novel students and the progress that they all make and the fact that so many of them get published. So if finishing a novel is on your bucket list this year, do check it out. It's at writercenter.com.au slash novelwriting. That's writercenter.com.au slash novel writing. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational program, Write Your Novel. Filled with workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your tutor and classmates throughout the course. Al Campbell's novel The Keepers was picked up by a publisher shortly after she finished her course at the Australian Writers' Centre. Here's what she says. I decided to do a course because it's affordable, it was flexible, I could do it at home. The best thing for me was that I actually had a chance to show my work to other people, not to mention the input from the tutors all of whom come from the industry. At the end of the Write Your Novel course, my tutor in fact took me by surprise by suggesting, I think her words pretty much were, it's time to get your work out there. When I found out that my novel was going to be published, it was fantastic, it was, it was a high, it was amazing. I would definitely recommend the Australian Writers' Centre because if you actually look at the stats, they're really kicking massive goals. Their publication rates are are really startlingly high. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novelwriting. That's writerscentre.com.au slash novelwriting. Let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of The Briefest English Grammar and Punctuation Guide Ever by Ruth Coleman to give away. I know, a little bit different, but I bet you there are quite a number of people out there who would like a useful guide. If you've ever questioned where your commas should go or whether you really can split that infinitive, then this week's giveaway might help. I've got three copies to give away. Here's the blurb. Now in one handy volume, the best-selling The Briefest English Grammar Ever and The Briefest Punctuation Guide Ever... Covering the basics of English grammar and punctuation, this friendly guide is perfect for students of all levels. It clearly and simply explains how language works and functions and strips out all the jargon to make understanding punctuation easy. So if you need to sort out your verbs from your nouns and your adjectives from your adverbs, or if you aren't sure whether a comma should go before or after a word or when to start a new sentence, then this concise, unintimidating guide is an absolute must for your bookshelf. Just go to writercentercomau slash win and follow the instructions. Entries close on the 3rd of April. That's writercentercomau slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? This is a doozy. Okay, it's thonian or thonic. Now let me spell it for you. Thonian is actually C-H-T-H-O-N-I-A-N or thonic is C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C. What does it mean? It's an adjective and it means dwelling in the earth relating to the deities or spirits of the underworld. I thought you could use it to describe maybe hobbits or even worms, but I think it's quite specific to gods. So the thonic gods would be, for example, Hades and Persephone, the rulers of the underworld in Greek mythology, as opposed to other gods who might be more associated with air or water or the heavens. I don't know why it's got the spare CH at the beginning that you actually don't pronounce, 
But that's the joy of English words, especially ones derived from Greek or Latin. There you go. And that was the word of the week. So now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Today we're talking to Sandy Docker. She's a writer of contemporary women's fiction. Her latest novel is The Red Gum River Retreat, and it's her fifth book. She's also written The Kookaburra Creek Cafe, The Cottage at Rosella Cove, The Banksia Bay Beach Shack, and The Wattle Island Book Club. Sandy is also the founder and director of the Northern Beaches Readers Festival. Thank you so much for your time today, Sandy. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Valerie. It's a pleasure to be here. You are responsible for my complete lack of sleep. I literally couldn't put the book down. I just wanted to know what was happening with the characters, with all the things that were unfolding. I thought it was fantastic. So your latest book is The Red Gum River Retreat. For people who haven't yet got their hands on a copy, and, you know, if you want a sleepless night, (laughs) go get it. (laughs) For all good reasons, though, what is it about? Yeah, sorry, not sorry for the sleepless <laughs> night. That means I've done my job properly. So that's, you have. that is a compliment. Thank you. The Red Gum River Retreat is about um, a single mother, Sarah, and her daughter, Melody. And they've gone through a little bit of a, well, actually a big bit of a significant trauma. And they're in the aftermath of that. And their world has kind of gone silent since then. And one night while Sarah's escaping from the drudgery of trying to look after her daughter, she discovers a photo album that belongs to her grandmother. And she thought she knew everything that she could about her grandmother, who was a photojournalist in her time. But this photo album opens up a whole new part of Rosalie's past that Sarah knew nothing about. While she's investigating the contents of this album, which most of the photos are taken from a town called Red Gum River, which she knows nothing about, she discovers that Red Gum River is also home to a music retreat which might be able to help young Melody come through her trauma. So they all head off to Red Gum River to try to help Melody heal and to uncover the secrets of Rosalie's past and while they're there they discover that the past has an awful lot more bearing on the present than any of them could have imagined and it's a story of war and love and loss and heartache and healing and the power of music. And secrets. Yes, always (laughs) got a good secret in there. Now, you get it. You get the reader in from the first few pages, absolutely, and you're just going, oh, my God, and you want to read on. There are actually lots of elements in this story and yet it's very balanced and um, seamless. And I found myself going, and I'm, I, I'm anti-spoiler, so I'm not going to give away anything, I found myself going, how did, how did you think of that? Why did you think of that? How the did you think of that? So what inspired this? What was the thing that made you think, not just of the premise, the overall premise, but all of the various elements that are so interesting in the book? Yeah, I find that there's never just one spark of inspiration when writing a book. It's usually a couple of different sparks that can come at you at various times and you don't necessarily know that they're going to end up in the same book but at some point it just suddenly clicks and you go oh that note in my notebook that you scribble all your ideas down and that one and that one and that one put together will make the story so the first spark was uh, I was watching Antiques Roadshow 
Okay. Very interesting life I lead, Valerie. And <laughs> a woman brought a photo album with some snapshots from home league photos in it. And I had never heard of this part of World War One and World War Two. So I started doing some research and what this snapshots from home league program was. And that was the first spark of an idea. And that's how Rosalie came to be. And then another spark of an idea was when I was, again, very exciting life that I lead, walking past my local Coles <laughs> supermarket and there were two old guys busking out the front and they had to have been in their 80s and one was playing the banjo and one was playing the saxophone. And I st- stood back and had a look at these guys and went, there's got to be a story here for these two guys to be busking at this stage of their life. And they became Edward and Albert in the story, who are our wartime brothers. And then I had to figure out the, the present thread. And that was during the pandemic, actually, that that one hit me. And when all of our emotions were so heightened, and particularly at the beginning when we were really scared of what it was going to look like. And I have an immunocompromised daughter. And so for me, it was particularly frightening. And that whole sense of a mother wanting to protect her child and to save her child from the burdens that they have to face really came into the fore. And it's when those three threads all came together that it started. Let's just backtrack to the snapshots from Home League. So um, this doesn't give anything away. It's very, very early on. Um, This is an actual thing. I wondered whether it's an actual thing. Um, Can you just describe uh, to people what that is? Because I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, it was a program that was run through the YMCA and it was massive in World War II, not quite as big, sorry, massive in World War I, not quite as big in World War II. But it was a program where soldiers serving on the front could request through the YMCA to have a picture of home sent to them. And it could have been anything, their house, their dog, their partner, whatever, something to give them a little bit of comfort from home. And then the YMCA would use their local chapters to send local photographers out to take those photos and they would be sent back to the boys on the front. And, yeah, I had never heard of it either. And when I looked it up, I was just fascinated that this existed. Yeah, absolutely. So when you started thinking of these threads, this snapshots from Home League, the old guys who are buskers, um, your own feeling of protection to your daughter. You were they all scribbles in your notebook? When you say that 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 you take a whole a bunch of scribbles in your notebook and they all thread together, what do you decide to scribble on in the first place? <laughs> I actually do have a notebook that I scribble ideas down into. And because you never know when you're going to need those ideas. And it might just be, as I said, you know, walking through Coles that day and seeing these buskers, I went home and wrote old guys busking in the street, like just little notes like that that I write to myself. And then I often go back through it and look through and see if any more of an idea comes to me uh, to use those. So, yeah, I I literally have a a scribble book that I write these things down in. And, And a lot of the stuff that's in there will never see the light of day, but you just never know. All right, so then can you talk us through kind of like a potted timeline of when these things formulated in your brain as, oh, there could be something if I tie all these together, to I guess thinking about it until you were ready to write the manuscript and then how long the manuscript took? Yeah, I have about 12 to 18 months to write 
a book from when I pitch the idea to my publisher and they accept it, and then when I have to deliver the first um, semi-polished, not usually quite polished, draft uh, to my publisher. So that's the sort of time frame I've got. The ideas, though, the the um, the Antiques Roadshow episode that I watched, that was about four years ago that I watched that episode and didn't do anything with that spark of an idea. And then it was a couple of years later that I saw the buskers and then obviously the pandemic hit more recently. So there can be quite a long time frame between the ideas sparking. Um, but for me, because I'm under contract, I have to pitch an idea to my publisher. And so that's when I go through the book and I try to have a look at what things I think might sit together. And I, it's not always fully formed when I make that pitch to my publisher. And she has now learned that what I pitch her isn't necessarily what ends up on the page at the end of the day. Um, so it's just that the, a basic concept that I pitch her. And then I try to pull it together. Um, and I'm a complete pantser as a writer. I don't plan my novels at all. So I don't always know what's going to go into them and how those threads are going to come together. So there are a couple of timelines here, the present, as you say, and the past. And in the past, there's also a couple of different kind of places um, in, in the past. Yeah. And so how did you know what to put where? You know what I mean? Like did you write it in a linear fashion or did you write one story, then write the next story, or how did that work? It's been different for every book that I've written. With this one, I did actually separate the present and the past timelines. Uh, I was really inspired by Rosalie's story in the past and, you know, it was a real hard slog to write during the pandemic. Creativity was not flowing very freely during that time. So I thought, well, she's inspiring me. I'm going to run with her. So I wrote her story first. And uh, after that, I knew that I needed to have an extra point of view and an extra place in that past thread. And that was when I decided to put Edward's point of view in there. And it's not a big point of view. He's just sprinkled throughout mm. the historical thread in the novel. But it was just to give it a little bit more colour and a little bit more authenticity to what was going on during the war at that time. And, and a bit more like tension. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think we needed to see that because without that, and again, without giving any mm. spoilers away, without seeing what was happening to Albert and Edward in the past, mm. we couldn't then know what the consequences of that, well, we couldn't fully understand it. So it, it had to go in there. And then I wrote the present thread after that. And then I have to figure out a way to mesh them together. Wow. So you wrote them completely separately. And yeah. then, so, but did you know from day one that you were going to write the present and the past? Yeah, I, I don't think I can write any other way. All of my <laughs> novels have that uh, dual timeline happening. And I just, um, I've never tried to write in a single timeline. And I, I don't know if I could. And so when you had to, you had your two stories then, um, you had the past and the present. How did you determine what bits went where? That's the editing process coming into full um, fruition there. I don't always get it right and it's usually a bit of shuffling and I literally print it out, cut it and sticky tape it back. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't edit on the computer very well. I type into the computer now. Um, I used to write by hand but I don't have the time to do that anymore. 
Um, and so once I've got the drafts there, I then print them out and I actually shuffle the pages around and see how they fit together. I take over the dining table, much to my family's distress. But there couldn't possibly be enough space. No, I do it in the chapters and then I go through the chapters and then I, yeah, and I cut and I go, yeah, that doesn't actually fit there. And I write a little chapter outline as I go so I can see what's happening in each chapter and whether I'm, you know, too heavy on the past or too heavy on the present and what action is happening in those moments as well. Yeah, right. Okay, so is that what you do for all your books? Is that what you've done for all your books? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, they know when I'm in full editing mode when they're, dining table's gone. <laughs> how long does that take? Oh, it depends how close I am to my deadline. Um, an edit probably takes four to six weeks of, you know, solid hard work and then a few extra weeks to to massage it and check it and go through it again. And how much of each storyline did you know that was going to happen before you, you know, started? I was fairly confident that I knew what the brother's story was going to be in the past. I didn't know how it was going to play out into the future, but I knew what was going to happen in the past. And Rosalie's story was relatively fully formed. I had to play with how she was going to be this woman trying to forge her way, you know, in a world that didn't want women forging their way. But I knew that was what was going to happen. The present thread was a lot harder. That was not fully formed at all. So that was a lot of feeling my way through the manuscript and letting the characters tell me where they wanted their story to go. There's a little bit of music in this. Well, there's, you know, there's a music retreat involved in this in this story. Um, are you musical? No, I have not got a musical bone in my body, which is really sad because that would be the one thing I would love to be able to do that I can't do. Um, obviously, I love listening to music uh, like a lot of people do, but no, I can't play anything. I can't sing, but my daughter is quite a talented musician. So I drew on her a lot, you know, even for things like what's this part of a cello called and how does this you know, come about and even nicknaming Melody, um, her mum calls her Minim mm. uh, and that's a music term. But I had to ask my daughter, I need a cute music term for this little child and, yeah, so. And so what was the most challenging part of writing this book? Uh, figuring out the retreat was actually the most challenging part because that was not part of my original thought process. When I pitched the concept to my publisher, that wasn't in um, the pitch at all. And um, I have quite strong branding that Penguin have done, you know, the titles and the covers are quite a strong brand there. And they wanted some more alliteration in the title. And I cannot remember what the original title was. I think it was the Buskers of Red Gum River or something like that. Um, and she's like, no, we need a little bit more alliteration. And so I started playing with titles, the Buskers of Blue Gum River, the Blue Gum River Buskers. And, um, and I was trying to think of all these things. And I was like, what goes with R, Red Gum River, like a place with a R in it. And I thought, oh, retreat, yeah, that'll do. And I threw that at her thinking she was going to go with, you know, the buskers of Blue Gum River. And she went, I love the Red Gum River retreat. And then I panicked because I thought, how am I going to write a retreat into this? 
story. And I didn't want, I knew I didn't want to do a health retreat because that's mm. been done by, you know, names far bigger than me. Uh, and I didn't want to, it wasn't an interest to me either. And I, I had no idea what kind of a retreat I was going to turn this into. Uh, and that was when I was like, I went out to some of my writer friends and we threw a few ideas around and the music thread really became a lot stronger. And I went, hang on, what if we could make it a music retreat? And then it all kind of fell into place. Brilliant. So this is your fifth book, right? Yes. What do you do now that you do diff- that you did differently in your first couple of books? I'm much faster now mm. than I was before, partly because I have to be because I'm under contract, um, but partly because I also have, you know, a small amount of more knowledge than I did when I started. Yeah. Um, the Kookaburra I think Creek. more than just a small amount, but anyway. <laughs> There's always more you can learn, though. Yes. Um, the Kookaburra Creek Cafe took five years. The Cottage at Rosella Cove took three. And as I said, now I've got about 12 to 18 months to get a book up off the ground. So I'm definitely much faster. I used to write by hand on the page and then. <laughs> That's insane, but okay. <laughs> um, I, I just loved that process. Um, and, again, I can't do that anymore. So now I do type straight into the computer, although I still edit by hand. And, and, and scissors and sticky toe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the craft side of me coming out. <laughs> Um, and I think the one thing that probably hasn't changed is the fear. That comes really? With it. Yeah. And I think it's because I now know what to expect and I now know what's on the line if I don't pull it together and if it doesn't sell well and, you know, all of those aspects. So so there's probably a lot more fear involved now, I think. More fear? Yeah. Well, oh when you write, before you publish, nobody's reading it, right? It doesn't matter whether it's brilliant or awful or you know nobody's judging it um once it's out there though and once you're expected to produce a book a year that adds a whole other layer of of nerves and fear well you're with on now that you're on your fifth book you are a veteran and um the the book I mean your books are so popular and they do so well Five books ago, um you know speaking of learning you did some courses at the Australian Writers Centre and what did that teach you? There are a few things that I found really valuable doing courses through the AWC and part of that is learning about the industry itself because those are things that you don't know when you're starting out. You know, what is a pitch? How do you write a synopsis? Mm. All those sorts of things that, you know, is a just a minefield to try to figure out on your own. The other thing is the the networking involved. And by networking, I mean with other writers, you know, not to get a leg up within the industry, but just connecting with other writers who understand what you're going through. Because as, as supportive and as loving as your family might be, they don't get it. They don't understand what it's like, the highs and the lows and the, the joys and the horror. So that was really, really invaluable. And, you know, little things, every course that I did, you know, there was there was at least one thing that I took away that I hadn't thought of before. You know, maybe it was how to write a sense of place, you know, and tap into the five senses. That was one of the things that I learned during one of the courses because we use our sight and our hearing when we write quite a lot, mm. but we don't tend to tap into the touch and the taste and 
and those sorts of things. So it's, you know, little gems like that were what I picked up most on. Mm. Now, you are a very, very busy woman because (laughs) if people don't know, you are also the founder of the Northern Beaches Readers Festival, which uh, was finally on last year because prior to that it had been postponed due to, you know, the big P word. Um, (laughs) And it was one of my absolute favourite events of the entire year. I loved it. I even wrote a blog post about it. I thought it was fantastic, fantastically run. Run all that. Everyone needs to go. It's on next in 2024. Correct. Okay. So you still got plenty of time, everyone, um, but make sure it's on your agenda. I have to ask, though, because, I mean, I just thought it was brilliant. It was so well run. It was Thank so um, uh, well programmed mm-hmm. and curated. And I did wonder how in the world, n- number of things, how in the world does she have the time? Because she's actually got to write some books. And why? I mean, I'm glad you did, but I still ask the question. So perhaps you could address both of these because I saw how hard you you and the rest of the committee worked. Yeah, uh, it was definitely a passion project and surrounding yourself with the right team when you decide to make your own literary festival. Does that. <laughs> um, crazy idea. Uh, but surrounding yourself with the right people is absolutely essential in something like that. So I handpicked the committee for that, um, you know, not just for the skills that they brought with them, but for their personality and their passion and knowing that we would be able to work together to pull it off. Uh, so that was that was how I managed it with the time. The why I did it was because I was getting a little bit frustrated with the bigger festivals that are out there. And I would go through the programs to attend and I would, A, hardly recognise any of the names that were in there and, B, none of the authors that I love to read were in these programs. And I thought I can't be the only one who wants to see the authors that they love to curl up in bed with at a festival. And not Um, sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and so I started thinking, yeah, you know, and and I had the choice of either sitting back and complaining about the fact and lamenting the fact that none of my favourite authors appear in these festivals, or I could do something about it. Uh, and so the idea sat with me for a couple of years before I took the the step to actually make it happen. And the catalyst for that was chatting with my publicist one day and it was before, and I'm not going to name the names, but it was before one of the bigger festivals was due to take place and they said, are you going? I'm like, no, there's nothing there I want to see. And we were chatting about it and they said that they had tried to get a crime panel into one of the other major festivals. This was just before crime really took off in Australia and they had to fight tooth and nail with this bigger festival to get a crime panel on the program and when they finally lamented and said oh okay you can have your silly little crime panel it sold out and they had to move it to a bigger venue and that was when I went I have to do this I have to do this I have to bring to the people historical fiction romance crime women's fiction all of those genres that we just love as I said to curl up in bed with and yeah it took a couple of years to get it off the ground because of interruptions but it was it was fabulous when we finally got it done last year 
So that brings me to how in the world did you find the time? And I guess more broadly speaking, what's then, what's, let's take this book. Mm -hmm. um, What's your timetable? You know what I mean? Like what's your day look like? How do you fit it in? while organising a major literary festival? (laughs) Well, just like the fact that I'm a pantser when I write, I'm the least organised person in the world. I really am. I don't have a schedule that I stick to. You know, I'm not one of these people that gets up at five o'clock and writes for two hours before everybody else. I, I can't do that. I've tried and I just can't. I tend to write during the daytime when my daughter's at school. And then I try to do all the admin and those sorts of things in the evening. Um, And then I just... So how um, long would you write for, though? uh, I can write for probably about three, four hours in the middle of the day. That's a reasonable stint for me. And then Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit again in the evening if I um, feel the urge to do that or if the deadline is looming and then I have to do that. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it can be a bit of a juggle. So when we were leading up to the festival last year, which was in September, that was when my copy edits and structural edits were due. So the timing of that was quite so I was frantic at that point in time trying to get everything done. But, again, I had such a good team around me organising the festival and we just, you know, you can't do everything yourself. So making sure that everyone's doing their bit. So when you're doing your three to four hours or maybe uh, a bit more, are you aiming for a word count? And is and do you do this every day? I like to tell people I do it every day, but that might be a slight massaging of the truth. <laughs> I tend I tend to be a bit of a, a fit and start person. I will be like hyper-focused for a few weeks where I am just writing, 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 and then I'll do a week where I don't, you know, write a single word down. Just because you're tired or you're sick of it? Uh, probably a little bit of both. And I just feel like I need that break and to step away. Stepping away from the manuscript is something very important to do at various points in the journey. Um, in terms of a word count, I don't like to prescribe a word count for myself because I'm one of these people that won't make New Year's resolutions because I don't want to fail at it. So if I set myself, <laughs> set myself a word count and I don't hit it, I know I'm going to beat myself up about it. But on average, once I'm into a story, I can do about a 1,000 words an hour. That's kind, oh my of, God. kind of what I aim for. That's a lot. Yeah. But as that, I said, it's in, it's in fits and starts, though, so, you know. That's, that's extraordinary. Is it because you know what's I mean you said you're a pantser so like is it because you know what's going to happen or is it because you're just in the flow and it's just pouring out of you yeah because I do so much um thought work I guess Mm. beforehand there's a lot of thinking that goes on and a lot of you know it looks like procrastination and it probably is procrastination (laughs) to be honest but while I am procrastinating there's an awful lot ticking away up in the the grey matter. And while I don't necessarily know what's going to happen, I have sat with the ideas and the characters for quite some time so that when I actually do hit the keyboard, yeah, it tends to just kind of spew out of me. Um, Having said that, you know, that's not a good draft when it spews out like that. It's a messy, horrible draft that needs to be edited. Um, Yeah. So um, just... 
tell people what you were doing before you became an author? I was a stay-at-home mum before I became an author and I was working part-time as a swimming teacher just, you know, for some pocket money in that regard. Before I had my daughter, I was an ESL teacher. And what made you think, "Mm, I'm going to write a novel? (laughs) Yeah, I don't have... um, that destiny that a lot of authors have, you know, they write their first book when they're seven years old or, you know, their parents, you know, paid the money to write stories when they were children and they read War and Peace as they came out of the womb or (laughs) anything like that. That is not my backstory. Mm. I actually did not enjoy reading as a child. Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) It was the last thing I wanted to do with my time. And it wasn't until I was in my late teens where my dad, who was an avid reader, put a fantasy novel in my hands and said, just give it a go. And that was the point that I fell in love with reading. So I kind of came to reading quite late. So it had never been on my radar that I could possibly be an author. And the only creative writing I had done, you know, outside of what you have to do for school was, you know, teenage angst poetry when you've had your first heartache and that sort of stuff. You know, it was just not there on my radar. But when I was at university, I was doing Mandarin uh, as part of an arts degree and we had to do a translation component to that. And my Mandarin lecturer uh, said on the back of one of the assignments where we were translating the equivalent of Chinese fables into English and she said I think you've got a knack for writing you should become a writer and I almost laughed in her face because you know this was me who'd never you know thought about writing who wasn't a reader uh, and I just sort of put it aside and then when I moved to London like a lot of Australians do you know um, when they start working I think I was just missing home so much you know I grew up in Coffs Harbour which is a small town I was living in London which is not a small town and I was missing that sense of home and that sense of community and that's when I wrote my first manuscript which was awful Um, but I fell in love with the process at that point so I was in my mid-20s before I even thought about writing. Wow and um, I was going to ask you because there is a tiny bit of Mandarin in in this story I was going to say who'd you ask about that but obviously you didn't have to ask anyone. Uh, No I did because I haven't used Mandarin since I graduated from university Uh, so I did that one of the school mums is a native speaker and so I yeah checked it with her and I had it wrong so she fixed it for me and yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, but now you are um, a a complete world away from that young woman in her 20s and you have five fantastic books. This one's an absolute cracker and I know that it's going to do so well. I mean, the fact that it stopped me from sleeping and nothing stops me from sleeping. (laughs) Really, I'm a great sleeper. Um, The fact that it stopped me from sleeping speaks volumes. Um, what would your top three tips be to aspiring writers who would love to be in a position where you are one day? I think the first thing, and this is going to sound ridiculous to people, but I can't tell you how much it frustrates me when I'm out speaking with people. The first tip is to write, write, write. The number of times I have people say to me, I want to be a writer or I want to write a book and I ask them how much they've written and they either haven't started or they've been working on one chapter for 10 years, you cannot be a writer if you don't write. 
So that's the first tip, absolutely. And the other thing, which is kind of connected to that, and it was somebody famous, I think it's Ray Bradbury, it might not have been, that said you can't write your first chapter until you've written your last. Mm. And that stuck with me when I came across that little piece of advice. And it is so true. Until you've got to the end of your manuscript, you've got no idea how it really should begin. And that's another reason why you've got to get past those first few chapters Mm. when you're writing because they won't be, I guarantee you, they won't be your first chapters by the time you've finished the book. And then the other tip is to immerse yourself in the world of writing through courses like yours, Valerie, at the Australian Writers' Centre. Find a writer's group or a group of people that are like-minded because that is absolutely invaluable moving forward. I couldn't have done this without my writing friends. I couldn't be the writer that I am today without my writing friends. Wonderful. And on that note, congratulations on the Red Gum River Retreat. Everyone get yourself a copy. (laughs) And thank you so much for your time today, Sandy. Thank you, Valerie. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Sandy. I just love seeing her going from strength to strength. Okay, let's move on to something a little bit different. I have a fun fact for you. So this fact proves that we all have timelines messed up in our heads. It's like when someone mentions something from the 90s and you think, oh, yeah, that was just a few years ago. I do that all the time. And then you realise it was 30 freaking years ago. Anyway, so Oxford University is older, believe it or not, than the Aztec civilization. Oxford, which is one of the oldest universities in the world still in operation, was already a place of learning in 1096. The Aztec civilization, by comparison, is relatively modern, being founded around 1325. So there you go. Just a bit of trivia tri- just a bit of trivia for you that I stumbled on this week that I thought I would share with you. All right, this brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Please do come and uh, join us in the podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to have you in there. And of course, feel free to connect with me personally on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter, at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.